Missoula Food Bank, serving the Missoula Valley since 1982. Head to their website, www.missoulafoodbank.org, to find out more about their programs and how you can support. Welcome to Sustainable Wellness's podcast. Here with us today, we have student athlete Grace Staberg. Grace is a student and endurance athlete in Summit County, Colorado. She runs ultras in the summer as part of the Summit Endurance Academy. And this past summer, she ran the Power of 450K and the Grand Traverse Mountain Run. In the winter, she is a DinaFit Schemo athlete competing on the U.S. national team, both in the U.S. and Europe. When not finishing high school, she can be found on long mountain adventures in her backyard. Welcome, Grace. We are super excited to have you here today. Yeah, of course. I'm excited. First things first, I have some pop, you know, kind of a pop quiz sort of questions for you. Um, okay. You ready? Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, let's see. Grace, what's your favorite ice cream? Oh, uh, salted caramel. Oh, nice. And is there an ice cream shop in Breckenridge that you really like? Um, there actually is. It's called Higgles Ice Cream, and it's owned by our neighbor. Um, and it used to be just like a little food truck in Silverthorne um, that I worked in. And then now they have this big shop in Breck. Oh, it's so good. Cool. Uh, we have something like that here. Uh, uh, big Dipper Ice Cream, and then we also have another one, Sweet Peaks. And they, have, they both have great ice cream. Next question. Um, favorite Taylor Swift song? Oh my gosh, I love Taylor Swift. It's so hard to pick one. Um, I loved old Taylor Swift, so I think I am going to have to say Mean. I loved that song when I was younger. Did you say Me? It's called Mean. Like Mean? You know, oh, okay. Mean. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to have to look that up. I'm in my 40s. I don't know what that is, but I do listen to Taylor Swift a lot with my daughter, so. Understandable. Um, Okay, so I just told you that I'm over the age of 40, I, so this is going to, you're going to have to help me and all the other old people out there. Um, what does on fleek mean? <laughs> oh gosh, I'm terrible. My friends always say I act like I'm over 40, so I'm probably not <laughs> the best person to answer this, but I think it means like if something's like stylish or like trending, I'm not totally sure. You should confirm that. Okay. I'll, but I think it's something similar to that. Okay. I'll Google it. <laughs> do you think that do you think that phrase is going to last? Is it going to stick? I don't really think so. No. I feel like all of the things that are like really really cool and everyone's saying them they always phase out. And then like 5 years later you look back and people are like what are what in the heck were we saying? Like <laughs> it makes no sense. Well, it's kind of like I mean, I really think groovy has kind of like come around full circle. Groovy's coming back. It's coming back. But I mean, I think there was a really long period there where people were like, no, we don't say that. Don't anymore. say that. No. <laughs> yeah. I think you're right. So maybe it'll come back. It, it might stick for a little bit, die off and then come back. Who knows? So break it down for us, Grace. I, I really want to have you here because I want, I want both parents to get the perspective of an 18 year old person who's graduating. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. This is your graduating yeah. year. Who yeah. got, I mean, how unfair is that? Like every graduating yeah. class of 2020, just, I just want to punch this year in the face for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not great. Um, but I also, I think, I mean, we still have all of the memories from high school. Um, 
And I think we'll just, we're going to look back on this year and it's going to be like, wow, we were living in the midst of a pandemic. Um, And so, I mean, I think just stepping back and being like, okay, my graduation or a global health crisis, like one of them is clearly a bigger deal than the other. Um, But needless to say, it's still hard to have all of your senior events canceled, graduation and prom and scholarship nights. And um, yeah, so it's hard. Uh, But at least I think for our school, and I don't know, they might be doing this for other schools too. They're going to try and do some kind of some kind of event, whether it be like a virtual prom or whether they delay it until the summer. Um, so we'll see. Do you have any friends who are having a hard time with this? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think that people, um, I mean, this is a huge generalization, but I think most of my friends who are extroverts are having a much tougher time just because they can't like always get the the social connection that they need to energize themselves. Mm. But I think, yeah, I think for various reasons, a lot of my friends are having a hard time, whether it be struggling to pace themselves with schoolwork and get everything done, or whether it be not being able to see friends at all, or um, hearing that like graduation is canceled and they can't go to our colleges. Um, yeah, so I think that there's a ton of reasons why why some of my friends are struggling. Um, and it definitely varies. And do you feel like the future, you know, what your plans have been for, you know, what your plans are going to be for the next year look uncertain because of this situation? Um, in a way, I think so. Um, but at the same time, they already um, were uncertain before the pandemic came. Um, I decided to defer for a year um, and take a gap year. I think I'm going to go race again in Europe. Um And I got my license to be a nurse aide. Well, I'm finishing it up right now. Um, And so I might try and work um, and get some more experience before I go to nursing school. Um, So for me, it was already somewhat uncertain. I mean, I don't really know. I don't have like a schedule. I'm not like I'm going to be flying to Europe on this date. Sure. Um, So I think um, it was already fairly uncertain, but it definitely then became a bit more uncertain because it's like, you can't go visit colleges to decide where you want to go. And, um, true. Yeah. Yeah. And now they're figuring a lot of it out with our school. But a few weeks ago we were like, are we still going to be able to get credit because they canceled the IB exams and then the AP exams are online now. Um, and so a lot of us were curious if we'd even be able to get college credit, um, classes and yeah. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of uncertainty for sure. But luckily, I think almost everyone is being um, really understanding like colleges, most of them at least have moved back their decision day and um, are offering like virtual tours. And um, so I think everyone's trying to work around it the best they can. Gotcha. Okay, Grace, I want to talk about the article that you wrote in Ultra Running Magazine. And this article is from 2019. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was December, maybe. I think it was closer to the end of the year, but Mm -hmm. yeah. Kind of the end of like cross country season, basically. Yeah. Yep. And so just so our listeners know what your athletic background is, you're a cross country runner. Are you a track runner? Um, I do run track. Yes. I don't know if I would say I'm a track runner um, because it normally coincides with ski season. Oh Um, yeah. Okay. I'm normally still skiing, but I also run track. Okay. So 
um, ski season for you is when does it start and when does it end usually? Season itself is like uh, September to June. I think we skied October 1st this year. Um, oh my gosh. Last summer I skied on June 15th, I think. Um, for but the that last was more, like if it, like that was more like an adventure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like I think normally the race season ends in April. Um, okay. Like the last weekend of April is normally our last race. So the schema racing that you do, that is your ski season. It's not Nordic skiing or mm-hmm. Alpine skiing. It's, it's schema racing. So ski mountaineering, can you explain ski mountaineering to people listening? Yeah. Um, geez, it's always a little bit hard to explain. I never really know what to say, but yes, you um, can. It's all good. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> much you race uphill with skins on your skis. Um, it's like super lightweight touring, ski touring. Um, and then you ski back down and you normally repeat it, uh, three to five times, I would say, um, in a typical individual race, or they have vertical races, which are just uphill, um, mm-hmm. or sprint races, which are just a really, really condensed individual into like three to five minutes. Any given morning skinning at the resort, you'll probably see, I don't know, 20-ish people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, That's awesome. Yeah. So. Yeah. We're really lucky. They, they allow it here. Um, and there's a few resorts um, in Colorado who allow it all day. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Aspen is doing a really good job in particular. Um, they still have the resorts open right now um, for people to go uphill. And um, I think it's Highlands maybe where you can go uphill all day um, throughout yeah. the year. Um, but yeah, even in Breck, they're fair. Yeah. I think, I think the interesting thing is I think people, including myself would pay. Um, yeah. I would pay for sure. The same amount of money that you pay for a season pass just to travel uphill. I would do that. Yeah. If I could go uphill all day, I would totally just buy a, yeah, like an uphill pass. <laughs> for today. I just wanted to, you know, let the li- listeners know that you do um, cross country. You do ski racing or schemo racing, schemo training. Um mm-hmm beginning, you know, pretty much year round. This is the sport that you train for year round. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I run all throughout the summer and I race. Um, but I would definitely say that most of my running is geared towards training for skiing, um, mm-hmm. like mountain running and ultra running. And then schemo are just really, um, comparable sports, I feel like. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, yeah. Most of my training in the summer is for skiing, even though I'm still competing in the summers. Right. So this is again, kind of off the side here, but do you feel like if you were to compare, I mean, are students your age training year round for, you know, other than skiing? So I would say you're kind of the exception. Students your age are training year round for any one particular sport. Are they doing that in cross country or track or cross country or Well, I think it kind of depends, actually. I think with winter sports, like even alpine skiers or Nordic skiers, I think a lot of them train year-round for their sports. Um, But I don't really know that many people who train seriously year-round for cross-country or track or, I don't know, really any other sports. Um, Our winters aren't really great for anything other than skiing. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And I think in Summit in particular, a lot of the kids who play other sports um, are multi-sport athletes and they'll play one school sport in the fall and then another in the winter and another in the spring. Um, So we don't have, I think, a ton of people who train year round for their sports um, just because we don't have like huge club teams for team sports. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's not a ton of people who are like training year round for soccer or volleyball or anything like that. So let's get back to your article in Ultra Running Magazine. You wrote this and you really came out with some incredibly brave statements. Um, I think a lot of people have a really hard time talking about eating disorders. So what compelled you to write this article? Yeah, um, I think for me, it actually was just that I felt like I was far enough removed in time from being really, really sick that it was starting to be a heavier burden almost to just keep it to myself than to share it. Um, We had moved up to the mountains from Denver um, when I was sick. Um, And so a lot of people like didn't know me before. And so really nobody up in the mountains knew about it. My coach um, was the only person apart from my family who knew about it. So I didn't even have any close friends I had told, um, or other teammates, or, um, I hadn't even told like my cross my cross country coach. Um, and so I think it just, it felt like a really big, like secret to be carrying around. Um, and it just, yeah, I just, I didn't see the reason anymore. I was like, well, yeah, these people all know me. Um, and if there is some kind of backlash when I share, then like I can find better friends anyways. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it just was getting to be so much. It felt like to not tell people about it because it impacts so much of who I am, like as an athlete and so much of what I care about. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it just felt like the right time I think to share. That's, that's cool. What compelled you to do that? Other than having this thing that people didn't know about you, was, was, did you want to help other people? Did you see other people yeah. struggling with the same uh, things? I mean, I think that I do see a lot of people struggling um, not to like, yeah. And I think that the issue is actually just that there are a lot of people and young athletes who aren't struggling to the extent I was, where it's like they're nearly admitted to the hospital, like they're like actually dying from their disorder. Um, but they're struggling enough that they aren't the best athlete they could be, or they aren't the happiest version of a competitor. Um, yeah. So I think I wanted to share just, um, just to like show people that it was okay to like struggle with these things and it was normal. Um, and I also think that I wanted to share, um, to try and like encourage other coaches in the community to see that it is something that young athletes struggle with. Um, and so it's really important as a coach or as a parent or as an adult, just to be cognizant of that and like try and educate more, more young kids about how to fuel properly. Um, and yeah, how to be the best version of yourself you can be as a competitor. Um, And I think that so many people have these stories of how they got to where they are um, through overcoming some kind of hardship, um, but they just don't talk about them. And when we talk about them, then it's easier for us to help help the next generation um, come up in a more supportive and informative environment. Yeah. And I think it's really powerful um, when a young person is brave enough to share their story and have 
uh, adult ears listening. Um, I think that there are lots of things that young people could say or have to offer that would really help adults gain some perspective on what their experience is like, because I guarantee you that my experience as a young person is going to be different than what your experience is as a young person. What age were you when you were diagnosed with, and can you please tell us what the disorder, what the disorder was or what the sickness was that you were diagnosed with? So when I was in eighth grade, um, it was the fall of my eighth grade year. Um, I was diagnosed with anorexia. Um, and it was, yeah, it was right as my cross country season was coming to an end. It was the night before our state meet. Um, so I think that's what gives me like a grasp of what time it was. Um, because a lot of the time, the time frame is kind of blurry, but yeah, it was that fall. So when do you feel like eating became a place where you were struggling? Um, I mean, I think in seventh grade, um, Mm -hmm. almost a full year before I had started struggling. Um, middle school is just such a crazy time. And I think you're really trying to figure out who you are. And, um, me, my sister and my mom all grew like really early. And so I was, bigger than everyone else in my class. And I just didn't really have a ton of people like telling me that that was normal and okay. Um, and as a young girl, like running is really weird when all of your bones are growing. And so I was like, why am I always in pain and why am I slower at running? And, um, so I think, yeah, like a full year before I was diagnosed in seventh grade, I started to be like, oh, well maybe it has something to do with what I'm eating. Um, Mm -hmm. but it didn't really, Yeah. It didn't really become like a full fledged issue until the next fall. Yeah. And I think everything you said there is just right on because, and this is what coaches really need to, to listen to and pay attention for Mm -hmm. that when, um, there, and it's so it's against another taboo subject. When somebody starts going through puberty, when a, when a female starts going through puberty, there's so many physiological changes Mm -hmm. that, create a situation where there maybe is a decline in their performance. This is Stacy Sims addresses this over and over and over again in podcasts. I took her course this winter, but they'll notice that there's a decline in performance. And so instead of um, noticing and modifying the training, maybe they add more training and then the young person isn't being talked to about what's happening. And so they start feeling like there's something wrong with their body And I mean, this is a very standard thing that happens all the time. And then they start restricting their calories because they're not liking the way that their body is looking. And they feel like if they start thinning, if they start losing weight, then their performance will come back to where it was maybe. Mm -hmm. And then what ends up happening is this disaster with the endocrine function. It can set some people up for really long-term health problems if it's not uh, caught and addressed um, early on, you've turned it around and you're healthy and you're a, a healthy elite athlete. But, you know, I I'm, was curious where, you know, who caught this and, and how did um, you recuperate? Yeah, so um, I'm not totally sure. I think my coach noticed that something was wrong, but um, I mean, he was a great guy and a fairly good running coach, um, but he was like this huge, like, macho juvenile detention center guard and like oh interesting he didn't really he I don't think he really um noticed at all like what the actual issue was um and so most of my support came from my family um 
I think my parents knew for sure that something was going on. Um, I was really withdrawn and, um, yeah, I mean, I was really sick. I had lost a ton of weight and I was not doing well when I was running. Um, my friend, my parents always talk about how one of my friend's dad said that like, it looked like I was just running through quicksand. Um, because I mean, I didn't have any energy to fuel myself. Um, but I think my parents really noticed that, um, something was wrong. Um, when I had to go and get a procedure done for something totally unrelated. Um, and so we went into the hospital and they did my vitals and took my weight and everything. Um, and clearly everything wasn't really, yeah, everything wasn't okay. Um, and I had been fasting. They make you fast for 24 hours before. Um, and they like had warned us about how terrible it would be and how uncomfortable. And, um, it really was just like fairly similar to any day in our household. Um, and so I think that's when my parents really noticed what was wrong. Um, and they took me to see our primary care physician. Um, and then she diagnosed me. Um, so my parents were, yeah, a great support system. And I'm really grateful that they realized that something was wrong because I wasn't really in a place to ask for help myself. Um, so having them yeah. there to do it for me was, yeah, my saving grace. It also isn't just females, it's males too. Um, there's a lot of males that struggle with this and there's even as little dialogue as there is around um, females and eating disorders and body dysmorphia, there is even less for men. So um, that, so thanks for answering that question. And um, so as you're recovering from the eating disorder, who was the most, I mean, who was the most influential person, supportive person? How did you get through it? What was, what was your process? Yeah. Um, so I think that my parents for sure were the most influential people in it. Um, they fought really hard for me and really hard for me to be able to stay at home um, instead of being admitted to inpatient care, which was something that I really didn't want it want. And I really thought it would make the issue worse to be surrounded by other people who were in the same really, really sick place. Um, and so they fought really hard for me and they came to family therapy with me and they helped me find a therapist um, and a nutritionist. And um, they were really, I think, the driving force behind my care team. Um, and so I would say that they were the most influential just because they were with me all the time. Right. Um, and so they were always encouraging me and helping me to make good decisions, um, even when I was, yeah, in the really dark place of my disorder. Um, and I do think um, that, I mean, recovery is kind of an ongoing process. I mean, right now I'm really healthy and I feel like I'm in a really great space. Um, but I know about myself that that is one of my tendencies and was a coping mechanism that I used before. Um, and so I would say that now my current coach um, is still a big part of that for me. Um, and I think that yeah, just having a coach has helped me to stay healthy um, and make sure I'm not overtraining or um, burning out. Um, and yeah, just going back to those those behaviors. Um, but yeah, even though I think that those are the two most influential groups, I mean, I had so many people who helped me from mentors and friends to other members of my family. And then yeah, a huge group of doctors, um, whether it be physicians or nutritionists or psychologists. Um, 
yeah. So it takes a village. Really, and just really understanding the problem and yeah. knowing how to be sensitive about it and, mm-hmm. and caring around it. Because again, anytime there's a stigma attached to anything, people can be either really great about it or they can be really the opposite. Yeah. Yeah, so. for sure. Well, that's awesome. Um, if you could go, you know, not if you could go back to that coach and say anything, your original coach. But I think that your experience with that original coach when you were in eighth grade is a very common experience, you Mm -hmm. know, anywhere from middle school to high school to college. Um, What do you think coaches need to know about uh, their athletes who maybe have this tendency? And I think this tendency is more common than we recognize. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's just really important for coaches of young athletes, especially athletes going through puberty, um, to realize that it's a really uncomfortable time. And it's really easy if you don't have the information to blame it on your body, because that's the idea that the media perpetuates. Um, and I think that a lot of coaches do know that. Um, and so I think then it's important for coaches to just know that it's better to talk about it and make some kids uncomfortable when you're talking about it than to not talk about it. Um, and then have kids who really struggle because of that. Um, yeah. So I think just opening the dialogue and having coaches know that, um, in the long run, that's much better than just making a few kids uncomfortable by talking about it. Um, I think that that's really important. Yeah. And, and, uh, I think that's absolutely right. I talked about Stacey Sims and the ways that she's addressed this in her, you know, the material that she's been putting out there. But I think what I've loved about what she's had to say about developing athletes is that when they do start going through those physical changes and she addresses this in her Ted talks and it's Mm -hmm. great, but instead of focusing on aerobic development and getting, you know, just plowing ahead with training as usual, step back with all that and focus more on technique until they get through that uh, developmental phase with their body and then they'll return. There's love that. Yeah. I think that's really, really smart. And I think it's a, like I had not, I had not considered it and it blew my mind with how simple Mm -hmm. that strategy was. Uh, But then how effective and, and protective of that person's, that young person's health that is. Um, I think that in our culture, we have an idea that performance comes before health and, mm-hmm. and sometimes at the expense of our health. And I really disagree with that. And I, I'd really like to see that be different. So yeah, hopefully. Eventually. It, it, yeah. I think eventually, I think that, you know, I'm kind of thinking that cause I too am an introvert and I'm sort of like have many, many moments where I'm like loving all this yeah. <laughs> I mean, downtime and all this time away from other people. And I no offense to any of my friends out there, but you all probably know that about me. Yeah. But yeah, I'm kind of hoping that this time provides people with some information and some maybe recuperation of their health that they haven't had in a long time because we've all been living at such unsustainable paces. Yeah. That we recognize how important it is not just to take time away from the sports that we're doing, but just to take downtime. Mm-hmm. Like how yeah. cool that is to our recovery and our performance. I mean, you cannot be 
a high performing athlete and have garbage health for very long. Mm-mm. Very yeah, So, okay. So let's see, let's talk about your movie sisters of schemo. I watched the trailer for this film, but I loved the, the, the whole theme of the film, which is this relationship between you and Sierra and all these other females. And I think what you said in the film about uh, your observation of the way racing is conducted and the way ra- the racing culture is in Europe versus what it's like here in America was a big selling point for me. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I was really grateful um, that Sierra included me in the film or the production included me in the film, however it may have gone down. Um, and I was really grateful that I got to have a voice in the film. Um, I think that some of what I said was really controversial in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm really hopeful that um, that can just help us to forge even more community Um within the women's contingent of schemo in the US because I mean really it's a fairly small contingent like there aren't that many women in our whole country who do schemo um and I think that um for me the movie was just about bringing women together um and how successful I mean so a lot of what I said was obviously cut out I mean they have you do like hours of interviewing and then they take a few snippets of it um But I think to me, um, the premise of the movie is like, what can we do to bring more women together and to get women to support women um, and to, yeah, just like have it be like a team. Um, And yeah, not just a bunch of individuals who are are competing. Yeah. And I think that the point that you bring up and and the big theme in the movie is trying to get women to support each other as competitors. It's... I don't think that women and I don't think that there's a lot of conversation around sexism. I think, you know, I think that we just kind of have all grown up with it for so long and Mm -hmm. so much. They're so pervasive that it goes under our radar and we just accept it as normal. Mm -hmm. Um, So in your opinion, what would it look like in ski race, in ski mountaineering racing or in any sport that you care about? What would it look like if women went all in and backed each other up? Yeah. Um, so I, I want to start by saying that, um, I do feel like women, um, in schemo tend to be most of the time really supportive. Um, I feel like there is a huge community of women here who I can train with. Um, they invite me along, they've taken me under their wing. Um, They inspire me every day, whether it be in their work or as their role as a mother um, or as an athlete. Um, And then this winter, I got to live with Sierra and Leite. um, And so that felt like a team to me. That felt really supportive. Um, But I think, to me, the biggest thing that I see, um, and I see this a lot, I think, with young girls, too. And so I think that's maybe why my perspective is a little bit different than some women, um, is that I think that um, women just have this thing where like to them, it seems like for some reason, one woman's worth or success, um, has some relation to your own or some impact on your own. Um, and so I think to me, um, what it would look like if we were all backing each other, um, was that when race is finished, even if we lost to someone, um, that we could be 
proud of what we did if it was our best or we could know what we did what we could do better next time and then we could celebrate um the other the other woman um for her success um yeah i mean i think that that does happen sometimes but i just feel like it could happen way more um and i think that yeah i mean i think that women and men are just so different as competitors like i talk about this a lot um with my schemo team, because, um, a lot of times I'm the only girl at practice. There's one other girl on my team, but it's mostly just guys. Um, and like, they'll be like fighting, actually fighting before a race, like saying, Oh my gosh, I'm going to beat you. I'm going to just do so well. I'll kick you to the ground. And like, I can't imagine a woman ever saying that, um, to another woman before a race or like bragging about winning, um, after a race. I think that women are just a bit more silent sometimes as competitors and like keep to themselves. Um, and that's okay. But I think that just, um, being openly supportive of other women, um, yeah, would be really beneficial to us all because we're all better, um, when we're part of a community and when we're supporting others too. Yeah. And I think that sometimes that, the ways that we kind of rub each other the wrong way, that's all part of that yeah, challenge so. that we're up against. I mean, I think it doesn't always come out like, uh, I don't think it always comes out in competition. It kind of just comes out everywhere across the board, yeah. our relationships in general. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's, it's not, I mean, women don't get ahead and we don't break the glass ceiling. We don't change status quo unless we back each other up. And sometimes that means we have to check in with ourselves mm-hmm. and go, okay, that person's bugging me. What is that about? It's probably not about them. It's something that I need to handle. Yeah. And, uh, not, you know, not blame ourselves because really we've all been in, impacted by, you know, in some way we've all been affected by sexism. But something that I've really had to work on is just like, being comfortable, being competitive. Um, because when I first got into schemo, I would be like, no, I don't want to beat her. Like I, I would rather get second because I felt better about that. Like then I didn't feel guilty for beating someone else. And I didn't want to like admit that it mattered to me how I did. Um, and so I would just brush it off and I'd be like, Oh, I'm okay if I come in last, but of course I wasn't okay if I came in last. Um, And I think that that is a huge part of, yeah, just like growing up as a girl is like learning how to have your own voice and how to be strong and passionate and independent. Um, And you can also be kind and polite, um, but you don't need to be those things so much so that then you lose your own, your own voice. I absolutely agree with you. And, and you know, maybe after this phone call's over, you can um, give me some pointers on how to be better at being competitive because it terrifies me. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how long you stayed in Europe, what that was like, and you're going to do it again? So it yeah, sounds so, went well. Yeah. So I went over, um, Sierra and I went over on December 10th. And so I think that for me, the environment was really productive. Um, and I loved, loved, uh, being able to just train and race all the time. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, 
am going to try and go do it again next year. I'm not exactly sure what it's going to look like, um, but I am going to go back and race all the World Cups again and hopefully some longer races and um, do some projects. So, yeah, it'll be really exciting. I think it was an amazing experience, and I probably still have not been able to reflect on all of the things that it taught me about myself and about being a competitor. Um, but it's it started to sink in a little bit, um, and I've realized how much how much I loved it. Um, yeah, I think when I left home, I was really nervous that I wouldn't like it and that I would miss home immensely. And I did miss my family and home, mm-hmm. but now that I'm home, I think I can see what I loved about that, and um, yeah, just what I loved about that experience and living in that way because it was so different than here. What are your things, what are things that you feel like you've had to trade off, um, ways that you're living your life differently than most of the people out there? Yeah. Um, I mean, I definitely think that there are a lot of sacrifices you have to make. Um, but something my coach Leite said this winter that really resonated with me and that I hadn't really been able to put words to, um, was that if you're really committed to your sport and you love it and you want to be um, an elite that much, it doesn't feel like a sacrifice. Um, and right now I don't, I don't feel like I've made a ton of sacrifices, but I do lead my life in a way that's really different than a lot of my peers. Um, I don't really go out to parties hardly ever. Um, I don't really stay up late. I mean, I honestly go to bed at 9 PM almost every night. Um, (laughs) and yeah, I mean, I wake up at 3 a.m. in the winter to go skiing. Um, and so I can't stay up late on the phone with friends or I can't go over to a friend's house at 11 p.m. Um, it wouldn't be sustainable. Um, and I think, yeah, I think there's just a lot of aspects of your social life that you have to you have to change because the way that high schoolers typically live isn't really conducive to performing well. Um, or right even in my opinion, being healthy, like if I only slept three hours a night, I would not be okay, even if I wasn't an athlete. Um, And I've had to get really, really good about managing my time with school. Um, I train like 25 or 30 hours a week, almost every week. And so um, everything is really structured, like getting homework done and then going to train. And um, I don't have a ton of time to like I don't know, watch TV. I think that's something that a lot of teenagers do. I don't have a ton of time to do that. Um, But yeah, I mean, they don't really feel like sacrifices um, when you really care about what you're doing. Is there anything that you would like to offer up to any young female athletes that are out there listening? Um, I mean, I guess I feel like there's so much that needs to be said to young female athletes, but I guess what I would have to say is um, just to not be afraid to be vulnerable and to know that it's okay to reach out to people if you're struggling. Um, And I would also say like being a young female athlete is just really awkward. Um, It's awkward with your body and it's awkward to find your place in sports, whether they be male dominated or not. Um, yeah, there's just a lot of discomfort, but as you grow older and as you get further into these sports, everything really does get better. It's a cliche, um, but everything will get better. Um, and I think that, yeah, just like being a young female, you just have to learn what you can from it. Um, 
And yeah, know that when you're an older teenager or a woman, like it'll be better and it'll be easier. Um, yeah, I think that's what I would say. Yeah. And I think being human is just awkward. So it is. You kind of just accept it and roll with it. I think just go with it. Just go with that awkward. And anything else you want to say to just people your age in general who are going to be missing their graduating ceremonies and their proms and their, you know, track seasons and all of that? Yeah. Um, I think I would just say, like, I know it's really hard and all of us are in this together. Um, it's so ironic that we all feel like we're so lonely or we're so upset about it when in reality, like we're all in that together. Um, but yeah, I think I would just say that in a few years, I think this will seem not this situation, but like graduation or these small situations will seem fairly small. Um, and so I would just encourage you to find something else that you love or use this as time to relax. Um, even if that may be uncomfortable because there's really nothing that we can do to change it. Um, we're, we're kind of just stuck here. Yeah. So a pandemic, who knew? Yeah, I know nobody would have ever guessed. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks so much. I'm hoping that every parent of every teenager can sit down and find some time to listen to the things you have to say. And I'm looking forward to bringing your film here. And I think that we're probably going to be rescheduling that event um, all the way into December. going to stay flexible and (laughs) it'll happen eventually. And and the message will be just as important now as it is uh, when we do actually decide to get it done or when we can get it done. So Thanks a lot. Uh, Have a great rest of your quarantine. Uh, All the introverts unite. (laughs) And (laughs) we'll talk to you next time.